long time. We don't do that. We really want to follow what God is saying, what God is doing, however that leads, however he orchestrates um, our lives. And we want to submit to that. And then we just want to do what he wants. And so uh, I feel from the Lord to just share a few scriptures um, this this morning, uh, actually this afternoon now. And um, and then um, we will we will go from there. Praise God. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn, uh, bear with me. Let's go to Romans. And we're going to go to Romans chapter number. Uh, let's. Well, sorry. It is all good. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Sorry. Romans chapter 1. <laughs> Praise God. If you want to if you want to stand, that'd be great. Just it's a way we just honor the word of God. I know they're going to put it up there for us. Help us all along. Romans chapter 1. And um no, no, we're not going to start verse, we're start verse 16. Sing. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16. To the devil. So it reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, by faith. Amen. So can we just pray together one more time? I want to pray that the gospel would go forth, that eyes would be opened. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would remove scales. Lord, that you would open ears and hearts. Lord, that you would plant a seed of faith into those that need it. Lord, that you would change the unbeliever to a believer so that they might receive the righteousness that is by faith. Lord, we pray today, Lord, for hearts and minds, for souls. God, for you to just do a great work. I pray that you would stir up your church God, renew our minds, renew our commitment to you to go forward with this word. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for who you are. Have your way in this place. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise God. Um, so normally we do, we're not going to break off this morning. We'll, uh, we're all together. I'm not even gonna say the word. Uh, y'all know, y'all parents know what I'm talking about. But uh, we're all together. So with that being said, um, try and be as concise as possible, not be long-winded. But there is a uh, nursery in the back, or nursing room and crying room. If you need to take your children out to the back, there is a uh, for those um, that not able to navigate the stairs. Uh, there's a bathroom in the back for ladies and children. Um, amen. So, um, but we're going to have grace and mercy with our children, right? Amen. Because 
We love our kids. Praise God. Uh, so, uh, actually, I guess in the middle of this, we'll, I'll, I'll be sharing some other things. But um, the verse 16 just talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Uh, what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did by dying 2,000 years ago, which literally is a historical fact. Um, it's not even just a religious story. Um, it's a historical fact. Uh, just by the number of eyewitnesses, by the writings um, of others outside sources other than the Bible, um, it is one of the most proven historical facts of history. Um, Jesus' existence is not just religious mythology or folklore. He is a proven person. He really did exist um, historically. He is a historical figure. Um, there's actually more proof for Jesus of Nazareth than there is for Alexander the Great. Um, and so Jesus didn't want us to get here in 2023 because he knew the enemy wants to keep people from believing. And so he did not leave himself without a witness, without proof that, no, he really did exist. So um, Jesus really did exist. He really did die. Um, that's historical fact. It's proven uh, historical records of Pilate, Josephus, different ones that this Jesus did die. Um, and he was also buried in a tomb. Um, now, the issue is his proclamation was that he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. The basis of our entire faith is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If, if the devil hates Christianity and people hate Christianity, you simply have to do one thing. You don't have to kill Christians. You don't have to persecute them. You don't have to try and come up with facts and figures and things. Just simply prove that Jesus didn't die, didn't, didn't raise from the dead. That's the easiest thing to do. Prove that the miracle of miracles did not take place. Prove that Jesus is still in the grave. That's the easy thing to do, right? That, that's simple. Um, but over the thousand years, not one person has been able to do it. Not one demon, not one accuser of the brethren, not one person who hates everything about the word of God has been able to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a miracle, but it is a historically proven miracle. So your faith in Jesus is not just uh, a wishful thinking. Your faith is based on a foundation of fact. Your faith in Jesus is based on something that is solid. He doesn't want your faith based on something that could change with your opinion or, or, or change with different generations. He wants faith in him to be based on something that you can look back on and say, no, that's proven. That's absolutely proven. And so we celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that he rose from the dead, that he overcame death, sin, and the grave. And so with that comes so many things. There's so many things that are released if he rose from the dead. One of those is that 
He had to be different than everybody else because nobody else did that. He had to have something that other people didn't have, and he had to not have something that other people did have. And that thing is sin because everyone who sins has stayed dead and is still in the grave. But this Jesus, he never sinned, so he rose from the dead. So why are we talking about all this? Because that means that everything he said had to be true. If one thing he said was not true, that would make him a liar and a sinner. Therefore, he should have stayed dead. But the fact that he did not stay dead means that everything he said was true, means that every word he spoke was the truth and not a lie. So the reason people reject belief in that is because it holds you accountable to a truth. It makes you accountable to an absolute truth. And people don't like absolute truths. Our sin, our carnal nature wants things that I can manipulate. I, I want to be able to change it. I want to be able to adjust things. But, but God says, I want your faith based on something that won't move on something that won't change. It's an absolute. So no matter where you are in life, you can uh, be anchored to something that's not going to move. And that's good news because there's a lot of storms that happen. There's a lot of stuff that comes in our life and we need to be anchored to something that's not going to move with the storm. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an anchor that you need to continually go back to when you're seeing things that you don't want to see, when you're praying and believing for things that haven't happened yet, and the enemy wants to speak into your ear that, oh, it's just made up, stop believing, throw in the towel, just quit. You don't need to keep living for God. It's not worth it. You need to go back to the anchor and say, wait a second, no, this Jesus really did overcome death. This Jesus really did win the victory for me. This Jesus really is alive and he's coming back again. And so every word that he spoke must be true, even though I don't see everything that I want to see right now. See, and so we do this as people of God, we do this probably without saying all that I just said. It's the anchor for your faith. It's anchored to something that doesn't move. Now, if your faith is anchored to somebody who is fallible, you're in trouble. That's why you don't need to be anchored to me. Don't be anchored to your, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife. Don't be anchored. Don't let your faith be anchored to them. Husbands, you need to cleave to your wives. Let me get that straight. Love your wife. Don't leave them and please don't misquote that. Be tethered. Don't be anchored. All right, that's better. But you need to be anchored to something bigger than you, something more powerful than you. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the cross. The fact that he died for my sins and he paid the price and he, he actually did it and, it and it accomplished it. And so Paul says this in verse 16. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Like, it, I haven't gotten to a place where I've become too sophisticated for that. I haven't gotten to a place where I've outgrown the need for the fact that Jesus died and rose for me. I, I haven't matured enough. I haven't figured it out enough where I don't need that to be the root and the anchor of my faith. 
And he says, I'm not ashamed of it because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. So through what Jesus did, that is God's power to save you, to deliver you from everything that faces you. So somebody says, well, I, like I said, we have a lot of stuff that we face. That's a truth. We have a lot of issues. we got a lot of things that we need help and victory over and deliverance from. But you get victory through the power of God, which is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the only way you get to tap into it is by faith. So your deliverance is linked to your faith. Your victory is completely linked to your faith. It's not linked to your good works. Your victory is not linked to your lineage, to your past, to who you're around, to your name. It's not linked to your skin color, to your gender. It's not linked to your age. It's linked to your faith which is supposed to be rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ and an unshakable truth of a miracle. And he says, if you believe it, salvation is released to you. Deliverance, that word salvation, it, it means delivered. It means set free. God bless you. Um, amen. <laughs> Sorry. I'm still thankful we say bless you like when people sneeze right our world has become so like anti-god but just sneak that in there when you can right I, I, I say it when people cough too because seemingly when you're coughing you're probably in a worse state than when you're sneezing so you really need a blessing I didn't say it I didn't say that didn't say the word, but let me get back to you. Okay. But <clears throat> deliverance, right? So salvation, it means to be delivered, to be made whole, to be healed, to be set free. Every single person needs this. Every single person is broken in some place in their life. Every single person needs healing in some place in their life. Every single person has been hurt, has been offended, has been taken advantage of, has been done wrong, and has done others wrong. Every single one of us. This is why it says it, Romans chapter 3, um, where it says, all have sinned, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? So you fall short of what God's beautiful manifestation is all of us don't come up when we compare ourselves to the perfect God we fall short now you compare yourself to somebody next to you your neighbor whatever you can compare yourselves among yourselves the Bible says that's not wise and so many people do that because they don't want to compare themselves to God because you compare yourself to God you fall short every time but if I compare myself to the criminal down the street well I can justify myself if I compare myself to the to the one who, who murdered somebody, well, then I'm, I'm better. And if I compare myself to you, and that's why we, we make people feel bad and we want to point out people's faults and we want to beat people up when they're down because I don't fall short of that glory. But if I look to God, I fall short of that glory. 
And so God is saying, stop looking at each other. Stop, stop beating each other up. Stop pointing the fingers at one another. That's what's wrong in our world. That's violence to one another. He says, but look to me. And if you look to me, everybody is equal because we all fall short of the glory of God. And that's what keeps you humble. And so pride is an issue. We, we, we deal with so much pride in our world nowadays. So many people are prideful because they're comparing themselves to others who are lower or lesser in one area or aspect of their life. And they want to make that the most important thing. So if I got more money than you, well, then I'm going to point out your lack of money. Um, uh, if, if I'm stronger than you physically, well, then that's what I'm going to build up in myself because I don't fall short in that glory. But, but let's say I, I, I struggle, with, struggle with pornography and I struggle with lying and I struggle with secret sins. Well, I'm not going to bring that before you. I'm not going to present that because that's going to make me fall short. And I, and I need to stay in my pride. I need to stay built up in me. And so we try and build ourselves up. But God says, you need to look to me. You need to humble yourselves. You need to recognize you are nothing without God. You fall short. You don't come close to the glory of God. And so we need humility. The Bible says this, that God, he resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So if you try and come to God with pride, He's going to resist you. I've, I've heard it before. There's people that say, well, I tried God, but he didn't, he didn't do anything. Well, did you come with pride? I, I came to God, and I, and I wanted him to do this for me and do that for me. You came to him in pride. You didn't come to him as if he was God. You didn't come from a position of understanding you fall short of his glory. You came from a point of trying to put him on trial. He's not on trial. Your faith is on trial. You're going to come, you're going to go, and God's going to remain. God's going to be God whether we serve him or not. You say, well, God, you need to prove yourself. No, he does not need to prove himself. He's God. He's the creator. But he gives me an option that says you can partake of my glory. You can be a partaker of my divine nature. You can get to know me. You can be involved in the goodness of God. So we fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 21, 22, it says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Praise God. God just eliminates racism. There's no racism in God. Let me say, well, how do we deal with all these social justices and social inequality? Get into the word of God. If people would live by the word of God, there wouldn't be racism. There wouldn't be sexism. There, there wouldn't be any of this nonsense that we see today because in God, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's outside of him where we find the issues. And so the enemy of your soul wants to keep people away from God because he knows in him, you're going to find salvation. In him, you're going to find freedom. In him, you're going to find who you really are. You're going to find your identity and your value and your worth in Jesus Christ. And then you're going to start loving people that way. You're going to start treating people that way. You're going to start manifesting the love of God to people instead of hating them and comparing yourself to them and pushing them down. You're going to start elevating them. You're going to start humbling yourself and praying for them. Then you're going to start affecting lives and changing dynamics of families and dynamics of neighborhoods. And then you're going to start affecting cities and regions. And so the enemy says, I've got to keep those people from believing. 
Because if they believe, the power of God is released that will save, that will deliver, that will break bondages. Satan, he, yes, he wants you to sin, but he wants you to sin so that you won't believe. God's not afraid of your sins. The Bible says your sins, and Isaiah talks about your sins have separated you from God. But it also says that Jesus Christ, him that knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So your sin is no longer a problem to God because Jesus came and took it out of the way. It's no longer the excuse to keep you from God. So that word that says your sin separates you from God, Jesus is now the mediator between God and man. You have nothing between you and God now. You can connect to him, but you've got to believe it. And so as you sin, the Bible says there's a deceivableness of sin. As you sin, your mind starts getting off of him and onto yourself. You start thinking more about what you're doing and less about who he is. You start thinking about what you're doing and not what he's done. And your identity starts getting wrapped up in your failures and not in his victory. And so your faith is now transferred from him to you. And your faith in you, there's no power in that. There's no salvation in that. There's no victory in that. And then you get into a cycle because then you start failing more and your eyes get more on you and you're failing more and you're fa falling and, you're keeping, and you can't keep yourself. And so there's a cycle and then there's depression, and there's guilt, and there's shame. What's the answer? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's somebody coming in with a word that says, listen, if you'll call on the name of Jesus, he'll do something. But do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? It doesn't matter. If you could elevate your faith and acknowledge that Jesus is bigger than your failures, He'll intervene in the midst of your darkness and he'll start giving you hope. He'll start giving you joy. He'll start giving you a reason to go forward. Praise God. I was talking to somebody yesterday and we were talking about stuff and I told him just my testimony. He's asking, he really asked me my testimony. I said, listen, to sum it all up, I was in a place of suicide. And he was like, yep. Yeah. That word, so many people find themselves there. Because really, that's where the carnal life will lead you. It's leading you there. Your flesh is really trying to kill you. The sooner you realize that, the better off you are. Like if you just do what your flesh and your lust want you to do, you will die quickly. <laughs> and you'll be gone quick. You just eat whatever you feel like eating, and you go everywhere you want to. You touch everything you want to touch, and you... Have all the pleasure you want to have and just engage and engulf the flesh and what it wants and feed its carnal desires, you will die. You will be bitter. You'll be angry. You will die mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. The flesh is an enemy of God, and it's an enemy of you because you're made in the image of God. So your flesh is your enemy. Praise God. And so we've got to recognize that, that my flesh, my carnality, it, it's, it's, it's against what God wants to produce in me, what God wants to bring forth in me, and I need to be delivered from this body of sin. Praise God. Okay, sorry. Romans chapter 7. 
We're moving quickly. I hope we're okay. I don't hear the kids going crazy yet. Romans chapter 7, um, verse number 7. Ah, my goodness. It's all so good. Verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So people think, well, listen, don't tell me what, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me that it's wrong because ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. Ignorance is not bliss because your flesh wants to kill you. Right? So you have an enemy that's on a rampage to take you out, to bring you to a place of suicide. And so ignorance of what's wrong, what's right, all that stuff, you say, well, I don't want to know. I just want to be ignorant of it. But your flesh is not ignorant. It, it, no, it want, it's, it's, it's engaging. It's desiring things to take you out. The Bible says this, my people perish for their lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. So if you have an enemy, the best bet is to know that you have an enemy and to know what it's after. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You reminded me of that story I was telling. So I was talking to somebody about suicide, right? Um, and he was just saying how so many people, and he was just acknowledging, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a common story of suicide, of, of coming to a place of hopelessness. And living in this world, it will bring you to a place of hopelessness. What's the point? Just wake up, go to work, come home, eat, go to bed, wake up, go to work, come home, go to eat, go to bed. What's the point? What's the point? We raise children, they, they grow up, you grow, people live, you die. What's the point? It's just this cycle. It's, it's, it's pointless. It, it's, it's futility. And that's what the Bible in Ecclesiastes talks about. It's all vanity. Achieving money and accumulating things and houses and cars and all the stuff that the world tells us this is success. It's vanity. It comes, it goes. Somebody could steal it. The stock market could drop in a day and it's gone like that. You eat healthy and do all these things for your body and in a moment a cancerous cell could come in and something could happen and you're dead. A car accident, stuff. So it's vanity. What's the point? There's no point. And so in this world, it's just, it's, it's, it's vanity. It's, it just brings you to this point of hopelessness, of nothingness, except that there's a, a God that manifested himself in the flesh and has overcome that thing of death that the world is saying is the end. He overcame that to prove that there's more to this life than what you're having right now, that, that there's something beyond this world. There's something beyond what you see there's something beyond what you feel there's something beyond what you can accumulate in your bank account there's a power that goes beyond what you can even touch and so without jesus there is no hope it's suicide and so i share it with them i told him i said but i didn't I didn't have all that knowledge but simply i was at a place of suicide depression and somebody said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And I simply listened to the prayer. That was all I did. I listened to them pray for me. And I told the person, when I hung up the phone, 
something happened on the inside. I didn't know the word at the time. I wasn't all scholarly. I wasn't able to say, oh, that's the peace of God coming in my heart right now. No, I was like, I don't want to kill myself anymore. It was the peace of God that touched me. And it ignited something in me that said, this God is real. And if this God would do this for me when I wasn't serving him, when I was living like the devil, if this God would touch me and bring me out of the darkness when I wasn't even searching for life, if this God would meet me in my darkest place when I know I did not deserve anything, I can only imagine what would happen if I actually turned my life and start going after him. I wonder how wonderful it could be. And so it ignited a faith in me. Can I tell you what God wants to do in you and in people's lives? He wants to ignite faith in you. Because it's through faith in the gospel that the power of God is released. Huh. The power of God to deliver you. He wants to increase your faith. That's why it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's not good work to good work. It's not your perfection to your better perfection. No, it's from faith to faith. Trials come, but it's, it's the trying of your faith. If, if you'll recognize God is just wanting to increase my faith. Why? So that through your faith, the power of God can be released into your life to bring deliverance. My goodness. He's not trying to destroy you, the arguments, the things coming against you. If you'll recognize that it's not, that's not the enemy, that person's not the enemy, the situation's not the enemy. But if I could get back to just believing the gospel and if I will allow the situation to stir up even more faith in God, that God, I don't understand this, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe that even in this, you're going to see me out. You are now releasing the power of God to work into your situation and deliver you. That's why he says there's no difference. You've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He doesn't start listing situations and saying, well, this one you got to do that, and that one you got to do this, and this one you got to say those words. No, if you'll just believe the word of Jesus Christ, if you'll just start saying, Jesus, I trust you. You're the answer. I believe you're good. I believe you've overcome death. You've overcome this situation. Whatever I've got going on on the inside, you're bigger than it, so I'm coming to you. I'm casting my cares to you. You've got to make it happen. You're going to lead me if I need to go right, if I need to go left. I'm trusting you to tell me, to show me, God, how do I handle this? I put my faith in you. See, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We are not each other's mediators. You, when you have an issue, a problem, praise God for a brother or sister you can call on the phone. But they are not your mediator. Ultimately, the best thing that person could do is say, hey, listen, together, Let's go talk to the mediator. Let me just point you to him because I don't have the answers. 
I don't have the answers for you. I only have the answers for me. Some people say, man, come to church. and like, man, what do you, yes, don't have that. You're right. We don't have nothing. That's the secret. It's the secret of our success. We can't do it. We're nothing. But we found who's everything. And we just continually keep going to him. Praise God. We're bringing this thing to a close really quickly. Praise God. The landing gear is out. We didn't even talk about Romans 7. <clears throat> Verse 8. Sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law is dead, for I was alive without the law once. Um, wow. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under slim. For that which I do not allow, for that which I do, oh, here we go. For that which I do, I allow not for what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that do I. King James. Woo. Basically what he's saying is what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do do. Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more. <laughs> Sorry, I hear about the voice of my wife laugh. I know what she's laughing at anyway. Verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, this is good news. This is part of our good news to people. When you look at people, and they're caught up in all sorts of nonsense and they're doing all sorts of wicked things. The enemy tells you that's who they are. The word of God tells me that's not who they are. That's sin that's dwelling in them. So those people that have done you wrong in the past, someone says, well, how can I forgive them? Listen, what you have to do is separate the sin from the soul. If you can recognize it's the sin that did it, and we're called to hate sin. You're not called to forgive sin. You're called to hate it. You're called to flee from it. You're called to crucify it. That's why the Bible says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. God doesn't like sin. He doesn't love sin. He doesn't love us so much. He's like, oh, I love your sin. No, he doesn't. He hates your sin. He just realizes it's not who you are. And the mercy of God says, I separate you from your sin. That's what salvation does. It separates you from your sin. So that you're no longer it. It's no longer you. That's what we have to do for people to forgive them. You've got to separate them from the act that they did. You've got to hate the act and love them. Abuse, abuse, it's wrong. Child abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, wrong, absolutely wrong. Hate it. Come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. But that is not who they are. They have been lied and deceived by the enemy. And if they would ever get a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will walk in a freedom and a power that they'll never understand. They'll be a completely changed person by the power of Jesus Christ. Ah. And so it's the sin that dwells in me. You've got to recognize that about yourself. Don't identify yourself by your worst sin. 
That is not your identity. Our world nowadays, they try and identify people by their sexuality. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You are not identified by your sexuality. You are identified by the image of God. That's who you are. You are created in the image of God. You are image bearer of God. Okay, we're finishing up. Jesus, help us. I know y'all got your hams waiting. Sorry, that was... All right, Jesus. I said it. Verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the human word. But I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. People are bound. People are bound. Don't be angry at people. Recognize their victims to sin. Don't be so frustrated when people curse you out and do you wrong and treat you wrong. It's not them, it's sin. And they're victims to it. They're bound by it. There's a war going on on the inside. And the Bible says that they've been taken captive by the law of sin. They're captives. They're captives. You can't, act, you can't expect someone to act like they're free when they're living in prison. Why are, why are we as the church expecting people to treat you like God and they're not, walk, they don't have, they're not walking in the image of God? They don't even know who they are. Why are you expecting people to, to flow in love when they haven't received the love of God? There's a war going on in their mind and they've been brought captive in their members by sin. So we shouldn't be crying because of what people have done to us. We need to be crying for them. Don't be angry because of what they did. Be angry at the sin that has them bound. That's why Jesus says, pray for those that spitefully use you. That's why Jesus is on the cross and he's able to say, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. They've been taken captive by sin. We're, we're coming to a close. Our musicians, please come. Hallelujah. Verse number 24. O wretched man that I am. Verse 24. Every single person, I believe this, every single person has that revelation that they are wretched. What they do with it is different. Most people cover it up. They hide it and they don't want you to see it. They cover it up with alcohol. They cover it up with drugs. They cover it up with fun activities, with pleasures. They cover it up with hobbies, cover it up with video games, cover it up with relationships covered up with uh, sexual activity. They covered up with illicit things. Because what they're saying is, I'm a wretched man. And I, I, and I can't even live with myself. And I need something. 
They covered up with violence to others. They covered up with hatred towards others. It's him just expressing, I'm, I'm wretched in here. I'm recognizing I'm falling short of the glory of God. They're not going to say that with their mouth. They'll say it with their actions. People addicted to drugs, they're saying it with their actions. There's a wretchedness in me. I'm falling short of the glory of God. And they're asking the question, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? How do I get out? What's the answer? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He simply says it right there. And then the rest of chapter eight, we're not going to get into it. I would encourage you to read it on your own. But the rest of chapter eight, it says this in verse one. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Oh, wretched man that I am, I fall short of the glory of God. You have two options of what to do with that. You can hide it, cover it up, try and go the way of the world, but it doesn't take away the wretchedness in here. It doesn't heal. You say, well, I'm okay. I don't need it. Whatever. Lie to yourself. You're fine. Or we can humble ourselves and be honest and say, I fall short of God's glory. And I need deliverance. This is why the Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Just simply acknowledge who you really are to God. Don't put on a facade. You can act in front of us, but be honest with him because he knows the truth. And he's the only one who can deliver the real you. That secret part of you that nobody really knows, he's the one who can help you. But you're going to have to be honest with him. Praise God. So this is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes. Praise God. Let's stand. We're going to do two things in Jesus' name. Praise God. There are people here who need salvation. And I'm not talking about shaking a preacher's hand, signing your name to a roll, checking off boxes and being like, hey, I'm saved now. No, I'm, I'm talking about a lifelong deliverance, a lifelong process of freedom, a lifelong process of sanctification, of being conformed to the image of God and being less like the world. Real salvation. That Jesus says you're going to have to endure to the end to be saved. It's not a moment. It's not just one service. It's not just a feeling you had one day several years ago and, hey, I got saved. No, 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 no. Salvation is your life. And so God is wanting to convince some people to get on the 
Get on the highway of holiness. Get on the road of salvation, that narrow road of salvation with Jesus. Get on the road and don't get off. And if you determine I'm getting on the road of salvation with Jesus, the end of that road, it's eternal life. The end of it is peace, joy forevermore. The end of it is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. That's the end of the road of salvation. Get on that road and don't get off. You get on that road through faith. You get on that road through believing the word. You get on that road through repentance, turning from your sin, recognizing I'm a wretched man and I need a savior. You get on that road through being baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, giving up your life for his life. It's a complete surrender. It's not just joining a club. It is a surrender to the life of Jesus Christ. You get on that road through God filling you with his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He says he's going to put that on the inside of you. The love of God will be on the inside of you and will flow through you continually. So you won't have to look and go to somebody else's and say, I need affirmation from you or looking for love in that place. The Holy Ghost, which is the love of God, is going to be a well springing up into everlasting life. Thank you. So praise God. We're bringing this to a close. But here's the thing. Paul said this, Romans 7:24. Oh wretched man that I am. Who will save me? You will have to cry out for God to save you. You cannot be nonchalant about salvation. Please hear me. This, the Lord is speaking to me. You cannot be cool and worrying about your reputation and at the same time be set free from the power of the, of the enemy. You're going to have to let that go. You're going to have to be desperate for what Jesus has. We could sing it and it feels so good. I mean, they sang it. It was, it's beautiful. The power of God. I believe you probably felt God's love and his mercy and all that stuff. But it comes down to the individual and you will have to go after it. I can't preach it hard enough for you. Nobody can pray it hard enough for me. You're going to have to reach for God. You're going to have to be desperate for God. And so I make no apologies about the length of this time or this service. And I says, well, this is long, whatever. That's okay. Listen, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive, but if you don't realize the value of your soul, You won't make it. And I don't say that nonchalant. If you allow the enemy to persuade you 
that the carnal things of this world are more important than you calling on the name of Jesus and crying out for your soul. That's what I'm saying. You're in a, we're in a battle. So I said this before, not trying to be long just to be long, but I believe this is very serious. It's very serious. And for, for those that are here listening, whatever, God is reaching for people. God is reaching for souls. What Jesus did on the cross is real and it's available, but you are going to have to enter into it by faith. Your faith, you're going to have to release it and give your all to him. Praise God. They're going to sing and uh, we're going to open these altars. If you want to come and pray, you're not coming to pray to me, pray, talk to me. You're coming to talk to Jesus and he knows and uh, and then the second part, I know there's some coming. The second part is this. Church, if you have this, you are obligated, commissioned to share it. This is too good to keep to yourself. We are, we are should be sued for malpractice if we have the answer to this world's ills and we don't share. Many people will reject you and look at you as you're crazy if you share this with them. That's okay. You died to Christ anyway. We need to share it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Praise God. These altars are open. Why don't we come and pray? Jesus' name. But would I get broken by night? Is it peeping since by your shape? It's perfected in all of my weaknesses. Lord, I am broken by night. Is it peeping since by your shape? It's perfected in all. Of my weakness, Lord, I am broken in my life. Is it pieces while your strength is perfect in all of my weakness? Lord, I am broken in my life. Is it pieces while your Strength is perfect in all of my weakness. Lord, I am broken by night. Is it pieces for your strength is perfect in all of my weakness? Lord, I am broken by night. Is it pieces for your Strength is perfect in all of my weakness. Lord, I am broke 
in my life isn't previous as your old straight is quite in all of my weakness. Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling in of the problem. Jesus, 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 I'm calling Jesus, 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 I know I grow yet, but you can't tell me. Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling you I know I'm broken, but you can't tell me. Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling you I know I'm broke, I'll get it, but you can't need to kill me. Cheating is us, cheating is us, I'm upon a beer. I know I'm broke, but you can't need to kill me. Cheating is us, cheating is us, I flip God. I and Shit, it is us. Shit, it is us. How to fall, lady. Shit, it is us. Shit, it is us. No, 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 no. 